Well, good morning. I, uh, I knew we've been kind of doing the up, down, up, down thing, but I, I just wanted to take a moment and, you know, tomorrow is Veterans Day. And every year when Veterans Day comes around, we just like to take an opportunity to bring honor to those of you in our midst that have served in, in any area of our armed forces or are currently serving in um, any area of our armed forces. And uh, just take a moment and honor you. So would you do us the opportunity to just, if you'd stand to your feet so we can just honor you right now. Can you just look around? Look at all these people. Amen. Thank you. 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 Lord Jesus, I just thank you for each, and, each man and woman that stood up that, that were ready to, to give even of their own lives to be able to um, fight for our freedom that didn't, that didn't come free and to protect us just here in, in America but in our interests abroad. Lord, I just thank you for uh, the men and women that answered the call to, uh, to truly come alongside and to, uh, and to bring protection and freedom and fight for, fight for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much for your service. Uh, we've been in a series called The God I Never Knew, and we've been talking about God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. Uh, if you're kind of, maybe this is your first week here, uh, it comes out of this, this reality for me that growing up, even within um, a mainline denomination, that uh, I, I understood God the Father, like he was the big guy. I could pray to him. I'd be like, Father God, you know, I ask you to do this. And then I understood Jesus because that's God's son, uh, died, rose again, pretty big deal. I, I, I could get that. And then, then there's like this God, the Holy Spirit, that I never quite knew what to do with, the God I never knew. Um, didn't really know what to do. Always felt like he got left out. Was I supposed to include him in my prayers? Uh, if so, what exactly is his job description? You know, was very unsure of this, of this God, the Holy Spirit. And so we've been talking about hopefully clearing up some confusion about arguably the most controversial person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. And I've attempted to not shy away from or, or to water down the Holy Spirit over these past five weeks of going through this series. If you missed any of them, you can always catch up at nlc.today. And um, each one of these we've kind of been building off of about who the person of the Holy Spirit is. And uh, each week, so we talked about some pretty controversial things. We talked about uh, Pentecostals. We talked about like, what, is, what does it mean? What, what is Pentecost all about? Why is that significant that the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost? And what does that mean for us? We outlined the, the charismatic gifts, even the weird ones. Um, and we discussed the baptism into the Holy Spirit, which is very controversial even within the body of Christ. Uh, last week, we talked about the role of the Holy Spirit in the world and the role of the Holy Spirit in, in your life as a believer. And so today, I'm going to be discussing a topic that, quite honestly, I wasn't planning on talking about. I thought, wow, we kind of, we hit on this week three, talking about the charismatic gifts. But, but this sermon series, I've gotten the most feedback, uh, probably of any sermon series that I've, that I've ever done here at New Life. And all good stuff, but it's, it's caused a lot of questions and things to come up for people, concerns 
about uh, what does this mean and how, what about that and what is the baptism and the charismatic gifts and all that kind of stuff. And so um, because of that, the concern and, the, and, and sometimes fears or confusion around this one particular gift, I felt the need to take a Sunday and to bring some clarity and understanding to something that, um, that really deserves a little bit of, um, of clarity and understanding uh, according to the Word of God. So that is the gift of speaking in tongues. Uh, so for some of you in here, you're like, hallelujah, finally, we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. Yes, 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 yes. And for some of you, you're like, oh, no. I brought a friend. Are we bringing snakes out today? Like, what? You know, I thought I was in the clear. You know, you kind of hit on a little bit of week three. Now a whole sermon? Like, what is this going to look like? Is it going to get weird and people trembling? And this is, what is this going to look like, right? Now, here's the thing. I'm fully aware of the confusion. I'm fully aware of the uproar. I'm fully aware of the fear surrounding this gift. But here's what I will say is it, it's in the Bible. And we don't shy away from things that are in the Bible. We, I try my best to preach the, the Bible in its entirety and not just say, well, this is something that I really would rather not talk about. Um, so we're just going to kind of skip over that and move on to something else. And so... Um, I want to give a little bit of of, of kind of understanding here. So Acts chapter 2, this is kind of where this whole thing begins. On the day of Pentecost, Pentecost, they were all gathered together in one room, the upper room that we know know, it's called, and then uh, the Holy Spirit comes in with a sound like a rushing wind, is what the Bible says, and then these divided tongues of fire rest on each one of these, the people in the upper room, and then they began to speak in other tongues. A crowd gathers because there's a lot of stuff going on and a bunch of people speaking in tongues. And then, then all of a sudden this miracle happens where they start hearing their own, not just their language, but their dialect is what the Bible says. They're hearing their own dialect. Like, this is my slang. Like, you're, you're from my, my people um, speaking the word of God and magnifying God in their own, their own language. Um, and then a I love their response. This is the people's response, the crowd's response to this. In Acts chapter 2, verse 12, it says, Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, What does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, They've had too much wine. (laughs) I love this response because I feel like it encapsulates the the same way that, that, that many people interact or view the gift of tongues even today. Uh, maybe even for, for some of you in here, you're think, some of you are thinking like, yes, this is amazing. Like, um, I, I'm so excited. What does this mean? Look what God's doing. I want more of that kind of stuff. And then some of you are like, Those are, that's for weird people and they look like they're drunk. Like, uh, I don't really want anything to do with this. And so what I would say is, is that as we set the stage to have this discussion today, that we talk about this, that we, I want to set the stage as we do each and every single week, not just in our Holy Spirit series, but, um, but as we, we just bring our, ourselves to church to submit our, our thoughts and, and lives to the Word of God, that uh, the reality is, is that each and every single one of you come here with past understanding or past teachings or even confusion. Or some of you are, it's a blank slate. You're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. Spirit, like, gift of tongues? What does that even mean? Maybe some of you come here with a, with a blank slate when it comes to this. Um, and so this is where I need something from you as we move forward. That we believe that the Word of God is trustworthy and true. Amen? 
and that we have a good dad who wants to give us good gifts. And so if that's true, then we have nothing to be afraid of. Any, any gifts that, the, that our good dad wants to give us through the Holy Spirit, then there's nothing that we need to be afraid about or have trepidation towards. So I just need you to be willing to say, okay, I'm willing to lay aside some of my fears and my, my prior experiences and allow the Word of God to dictate my experience rather than allowing my experience to dictate the Word of God. I, I need that from you today as we, as we kind of like get into this, this whole topic because of, um, because of the reality of, of this topic. So here's the thing. Firstly, don't let the word tongues freak you out. The, the actual Greek word is this word glossa, which we get the word glossary from, and it simply means this, a language. Scary, huh? The gift of languages. So you think, oh, I, don't know, I don't know about tongues. I don't know what that's all about. It simply means languages. So let me be clear. The gift of tongues is not the gift of speaking in gibberish. <laughs> it's language. Uh, this is literally the definition of the word. And it's either an earthly language that, that, that is unknown to the speaker. Like, in other words, like, it doesn't count if you learned Spanish in eighth grade and so you speak Spanglish and you just start speaking a little bit of Spanglish, you know, in your prayer time. You're like, I think that's a gift of tongues. No, that's just really poor Spanish, okay? <laughs> like, it's either an, an unknown language, earthly language that, that the speaker is unaware of or unknown, or it's a heavenly language. That's what the Bible says. So there are some... Uh, some questions that arise. And I've even gotten some of these questions over these past five weeks. I'll get emails from some of you, questions from some of you like, okay, I need some understanding when it comes to these different giftings and how the Holy Spirit works in this area of my life. And so that's part of the reason why I'm addressing some of this stuff today. And so the first, the first question that arises about the gift of tongues is this, is it for today? Is the gift of tongues for today? Because there's a teaching that maybe some of us are aware of that it's called cessationism that teaches that the charismatic gifts and really, if we're honest, specifically targeting the gift of tongues uh, for some reason, th th those, those gifts are only for the age of the apostles and they ceased once the Bible was completed. So in other words, like that was like the gift of tongues and prophecy and all that kind of stuff, those charismatic gifts, the weird ones, you know, those were for the age of the apostles. But once the apostles, you know, passed on and the Bible was completed, now that, that all that stuff has ceased. And they reference a, a scripture in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which says this, love never fails, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. And then catch this in verse 10. He says this, but when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put, away, put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then... We shall see face to face. Now I know in part, but then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And so 
people have used this verse to, uh, to say that, okay, well, once the Bible was completed, like it says in verse 10, once completion has come, that gifts like prophecy and tongues will cease. They're, they're, they're done. Now, the problem that we run into is that it also says that knowledge will cease. So there's that. <laughs> How can I really trust you? <laughs> you know, knowledge will cease as well. So let me be clear. Let me be very clear with us. The, the, the person, the third person of the Trinity and the gifts that he gives did not cease to exist in 393 AD at the Council of Hippo when the Bible was canonized. Okay, I heard that, amen. Thank you. At least one of you. 393 AD, Council of Hippo, we finally got the book. Let's bind this sucker. Now everything, the gifts of the Holy Spirit can be done and cease and gone away with. That completion has come. Listen, can I, just, can I just remind you, the Holy Spirit is still active and alive today. Amen? He still speaks to and through people. Uh, miracles still happen. I've, I've, I literally don't have boxes to put things in sometimes when God moves. Like I've watched legs grow in front of my face. I've laid hands on people and felt snap, crackle, pop, um, bones in vertebrae come into alignment again through just through prayer, not through manipulation. Like there's this reality that, that God is still on the move. I do believe that, that these gifts will no longer be needed when Jesus returns. That is the completion that Paul's talking about there. I just want to remind you, Paul was convinced, he was anticipating that in his lifetime, Jesus was going to come back. So to think that as he's writing 1 Corinthians 13, that he had in his mind that this is what I'm writing, that the completion is when hopefully 350 years from now, this letter, when compiled into a larger book, then it will be completed and then these gifts will cease, is what? No, he's, he's living out of what he's always lived in. The completion that he's talking about is when his Savior comes back. When his Savior returns, then who's going to need these gifts? You're not going to need prophecy. You're not going to need tongues. Why? Because you see Jesus face to face. You're not going to need a special message coming from the Holy Spirit. You're going to be speaking and, 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 and seeing Jesus and being fully known just as you are fully known. That's, that's what Paul's talking about when he talks about completeness. He's not talking about, hopefully, once the Bible that he was unaware was ever going to happen at the time of his writing is completed. <laughs> so, so I believe that, that it is clear to us, it's at least clear to me, that all the gifts of the Spirit, including the weird ones, including the gift of tongues, are still for today. And there's really no biblical evidence for, um, that, that they will cease until Jesus returns. And then when he returns, there's going to be a whole lot of things that we're going to be like, what were we fighting about? Why did we split? Why did we create denominations based upon this? I have no idea. I don't really even care. Why? Because Jesus is here. I could care less. It was so big and important to me back then, and we couldn't even worship together. Because why? I, oh, we have nothing in common. And we realize we have everything in common. Why? Because Jesus is Lord. Amen? Amen? So is it for today? I, I see nothing in Scripture that would say, no, it's ceased. It's not for today. The second question that comes up is this. Is it demonic? Is it demonic? You've maybe had these questions. Is it demonic? Because for some believers, um, well-meaning believers, I believe, like have taught or even written books teaching that, that speaking in tongues is demonic. 
And they actually would say and go so far as to say that speaking in, in tongues shows how ungodly you are because if you're speaking in tongues and they're not for today, then it's probably speaking by a demon. Is it, is it demonic? And my question, this is what I wrestle with, is this, like, how in the world have we come to a place where, where we would ever say that a gift from the Holy Spirit is demonic? How, how have we come to a place where that would be something in our thought process? And I want to show you two scriptures. I'm going to connect them for you. But these are the words of Jesus um, and I really think it's going to give a little more understanding about the gifts of the Spirit and, and the demonic. Um, in Luke chapter 10, if you've got your Bibles, uh, Jesus appoints 72 of his followers to go out and do what he's been doing. He's essentially like, okay, guys, I want you to go out two by two. I want you to pray for the sick, and I want you to preach the good news of the kingdom. And so they're like, well, we can't really do that. He's like, I'm commissioning you. I'm going to do this, and I'm empowering you to go do it. And so 72 people go out two by two. I don't know how long they went out for. It was quite a, quite a while, but they went out, prayed for the sick, and, uh, and preached the good news. And they're so stinking excited when they come back. We see this in Luke chapter 10, verse 17. It says, the 72 returned with joy. And this is what they said, Lord even the demons submitted to us in your name. In other words, like, we don't even know what we're doing, but we're like, yeah, but gee, in the name of Jesus. And then all of a sudden they would leave and the people were freed. It was awesome. I mean, he had everything submitted to us, even, even the demons in, in your name, Jesus. And then Jesus' reply in verse 18 is really odd to me. Maybe for those of you who are really spiritual, you're like, you don't get this? No, for real. When I first read it, I was like, really? He goes, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Oh. oh, okay. And he continues. He says, I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Uh, okay. I mean, now here's the thing. This scripture, for, there's some weird churches that have taken the scripture very literally. And they, they will bring out snakes and do snake handling and be like, hey, look at this. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. I don't get bit, which means I'm holy. And so, like, we kind of add this into um, what we think God is calling us to do, that he's saying, well, you can trample on snakes and scorpions and nothing's going to hurt you. And, but, and they think that he's literally talking about snake handling. But if you look at the context of this scripture, Jesus is not talking about snakes and scorpions. He's not saying, hey, you know what? If you're truly following me, you can slap a honey badger and it won't even hurt you, right? <laughs> like, just go ahead and give it a try if you really believe me, right? If you have faith in me and just slap it a few times, it won't even hurt you, right? Now, go ahead and try, right? I'd like to see what would happen there. Shredded, right? So here's the thing. He's talking not about literal snakes and literal scorpions. He's talking about demons. He, he calls them serpents and he calls them scorpions. How do I know that? Well, look at the next verse in, in verse 20. This is, however, don't, don't, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Now, I want to I connect something for you. And uh, we find this the very next chapter in Luke chapter 11. Um, what if one day Jesus knew that there are going to be some Christians that would like preach and write books and say that some of the gifts of the Holy Spirit 
were from demons. They were demonic. Luke chapter 11, verse 11. This should, this, should, this should be a good news for you. He says, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a what? A snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. Okay, this is getting weird. It's weird. He says, if you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Do you really think that if you are eagerly desiring spiritual gifts, that a good father is going to give you a demon instead. Hmm. So, if it is for today, and if it's not demonic, then what is its purpose? What is its purpose? What is its purpose? Paul dedicates an entire chapter 1 Corinthians chapter 14 to the gift of tongues. Many people like to skip over it or have it ripped out of their Bible, but the reality is, is that there's an entire chapter about this. I encourage you to not just trust me, because I'm just a guy that, with other opinions, just like other people that have taught you other things about the Holy Spirit and the gifts of the Holy Spirit. I would encourage you to read 1 Corinthians 14 for yourself. Why? Because whenever you're listening to a sermon, you should always have an open Bible. I encourage you to do that, to be checking, studying, really taking a look. Is this truly what the Word of God says? But if you want more understanding or clarity around this gift, read 1 Corinthians 14. And so um, I'm going to be pulling. Normally we have you guys stand, and but we'd have to read the entire chapter. So I'm going to be pulling from 1 Corinthians 14, so keep your Bible open. Um, here are Paul's instructions about the gift of tongues in a nutshell. There is a difference. He's, he's explaining something to us. There's a difference between the private use of the gift of tongues and the public application of the gift of tongues. There's, there's two different things that he's talking about. And sometimes uh, we conflate these two and we think, oh, he's talking about the same thing and that's why. He's talking about two different things. He's, he's talking about, one, a, a personal, private prayer language. That, that's the first part that we're going to talk about. And then the second part is this public use. Public meaning like in gatherings of believers. What is that supposed to look like? So the first one is this. It's, your, it's a private prayer language. We find this in 1 Corinthians 14, 18. He says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Now, before we go any further, you need to wrestle that to the ground. That, that, one, that one script, verse 18, you've got to wrestle that to the ground. The Apostle Paul, the greatest apostle, the, the guy who wrote over a quarter of the New Testament, just wrote to you that he speaks in tongues more than any of you. Hmm. So there's that. So what, is, what, 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 can, what, what can we assume? We can assume, one, he spoke in tongues. Two, it was obviously a very significant part of his walk with Christ because he did it more than any of us. So th these two things, just that one statement we, we can pull so much from. So what is this prayer language all about? 
What's the significance of this thing that honestly is, is a little weird? We, we, some of us, we, I don't quite know what to do with this. 1 Corinthians 14.2 gives us a little insight. He says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to people, but to God. Indeed, no one understands them. They utter mysteries by the Spirit. So it's a language by the Spirit, that's what it says in verse 2, that is unknown to a speaker, where you're praying by the Spirit to God. You get that? So that's kind of like, if we're going to define it, it's this, it's this whole idea of like speaking by the Spirit in an unknown language to God. Say, okay, so if, if, if I don't understand what I'm saying and nobody else around me understands what I'm saying, how in the world is this beneficial? Have you ever wondered that? Like, how, okay, this is supposedly a beneficial thing to me, but I don't, I don't understand what I'm saying. Nobody else understands what I'm saying. Why would I want to do something like this? Sounds weird. 1 Corinthians 14.4 says, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves. There's something that happens of a strengthening or a building up that happens that Paul talks about. And he says, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. In other words, everyone else can understand now. So now they're edified. Jude, verse 20, because there's only one chapter in Jude. It's a really short one if you want to read through it. Um, but you, dear friends, by building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. There's this... There's this whole idea, and the Bible says that praying in tongues builds you up and strengthens you. It builds you up and strengthens you. And you may be thinking, well, like, how is that even possible when I don't understand what I'm saying? And, and, and what I would say is I want to remind you that you are not simply made up of body and mind. You are also made up of spirit. You're also made up of spirit as well. So is it possible that some of the struggles that you're going through right now are because you're not building up your spirit, man? This is what Paul's talking about. This edification is not because, oh yeah, I now understand the great mysteries of, of the Bible, and it's not because I'm taking care of myself physically. He's saying like there is something that happens spiritually that I'm being building, I'm, I'm building myself, myself up spiritually. So according to the Apostle Paul, there is a closeness and there is a strengthening that happens when someone prays in the Spirit, when they, when they pray in tongues. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 14 says, For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? He says, I'll pray with my spirit, but also pray with my understanding. In other words, I'm not just going to be like Shonda Hand my entire, the entire time in my prayer time. No, I'm going to pray with my spirit, but I'm also going to pray with my understanding so that I can, you know, pray my heart to God and those things. And then he says, I'll sing with my spirit, but also sing with my understanding. He's saying, when I pray in the spirit, when I pray in tongues, my spirit is praying. Have you ever had a, a situation, maybe you, you had one this morning, right? I have them every day, where you're at a loss for words. Like, you, you, you got a prayer need that you're just like, I don't even know how to pray. I don't know how to pray for my kid in this situation. If I pray this, I feel like that's the wrong thing to pray. And if I pray this, I feel like that's the wrong thing to pray. Have you ever felt like, man, I just feel like many times my prayers are just suggestions to God. 
like, you know, God, if you wanted to solve this, you could probably do that. And then, so I'm going to pray that, right? And then you're like, but that, is that really, am I believing what, that, is God really going to do that? I, I, there are so many times where I'm praying and I feel like, man, I'm just really just giving God suggestions. I don't even know if I'm necessarily praying his heart in this matter. And so he's saying when, when we pray in tongues, when we pray in the Spirit, now all of a sudden we're not just praying what we think is possible, we're opening ourselves up to the God possible. So when, when, when our spirit is praying, have you ever woken up in the middle of the night with somebody on your heart? And you're just like, I don't even know what's wrong with them. Like, I don't know. Lord, you want me to pray for them? But I'm like, okay, we'll just pray that they would be successful in all their endeavors, right? And we have no idea what to say, right? Or God, I hope that nothing's going wrong, right? And this is, a, this is where he's like, listen, when I pray in the spirit, my spirit prays. I don't understand what I'm saying. When I, there, there are times when I've prayed in the Spirit, and I, I just know God's doing something. He's breaking things in the Spirit. And I'm like, I have literally no idea what's happening or what's going on, but I know God's doing something. But my mind is unfruitful. That's what he says in verse 15. My mind is unfruitful. I have no idea what's really going on. So this private prayer language, I just, I, we need to wrestle that to the ground that it was very important to the Apostle Paul, very significant to his life. But just like prophecy, there are sometimes when, when, when God and gives you a message or, you know, speaks to you, but it's just between you and him, and it's not really supposed to be shared. And then there are times where God gives you a word of prophecy that you just know is supposed to be shared with somebody, or maybe even shared with, with the whole body, whatever that looks like. It's the same way with the gift of tongues. There's this, there's this idea that, like, there's a personal prayer language that Paul says, I prayed in more than anyone, but that was just between him, him and God. And then there are times where where the gift of tongues is used to communicate something from God to other people. But there are very clear instructions around it. Very clear instructions. So the second use of the gift of tongues, if you're taking notes, is this, that it can be used publicly, but only with interpretation. And this, is, and this I really want to hit on when it comes to the public use of the gift of tongues. It's one thing to have a private prayer language, but if it is ever to be used publicly, it better have an interpreter. It better have an interpreter. 1 Corinthians 14.5 said, I would like that every one of you speak in tongues. That's Paul. But I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues. Unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. A lot of times people read that verse and they're like, see, look, Paul's saying tongues is like not really that cool and you should really be prophesying instead because tongues is kind of like, you, should, you know, it's not that big of a deal. He's like, no, 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 no. I want you to understand, babbling on in tongues and, and nobody understands you, obviously that is of no use to the people around you. But if you have interpretation, then it is just equal to prophecy. Tongues with interpretation is equal to prophecy. So, he, he, he really kind of hits on this. In 1 Corinthians 14, 13, he says, For this reason, the one who speaks in a tongue should pray that they may interpret what they say. And I've been in churches where that's not practiced. So if, if, you, if you come up to me and you say, well, I feel like I've got a, a, a word for the church in, in tongues. My question will be this. Okay, what is it? And you say, shit about a Honda, but about a Kia. (laughs) 
I'm going to say, you never heard that, huh? Ah. I'm going to say, okay, what's the interpretation? Because you need to pray for that. Paul outlines very clearly, he puts the pressure on the person who feels that they have a message in tongues to pray for the interpretation. He puts that, he puts that on the person that says, okay, yeah, I feel like I have a word. Okay, well, what is it? Pray for the interpretation. Because if you give someone a microphone and they babble on in tongues, how would anyone be edified or encouraged? I have no idea. What, what are we talking about? What, what are we doing right now? Paul hits on this in 1 Corinthians 14, 23. He says this. So if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and inquirers or unbelievers come in, will they not say, catch this, will they not say, you are out of your mind? This is good news for some of you. you some of you just took a breath. You're like, okay. Because, because that's kind of what I think sometimes when I hear all over here people praying in tongues, right? And so here's what I would say to you. If you were at all freaked out by the public use of praying in tongues without interpretation, I want you to understand you were in good company with the Apostle Paul. And he continues in verse 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or at most three, should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. In other words, if you don't have an interpretation, that's okay, but just keep it your own personal prayer language. Just speak to yourself and to God. That's, that's okay. It doesn't, doesn't have to be for everyone all the time, right? Just... Keep it for, for, for what it is between you and, and God. Which brings us to some of the questions that you may be asking right now. You're thinking it, but you'd never actually like write me an email about it. Um, and it's this. Pastor Justin, uh, I came into worship today, and I'm pretty sure that the lady, I'm not going to look, don't look right now, but she's to my back left. I'm pretty sure she was speaking in tongues during worship. Because, oh, because she's not Chinese, but she sounded like she was speaking in Chinese. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she was speaking in tongues. And, Pastor Justin, I mean, you just read in, in 1 Corinthians 14 that, like, she should be silent. Am I right or am I right? I mean, like, that's, that's what this, sh that she shouldn't be, I shouldn't hear her say that. I mean, I shouldn't hear her talking. And it makes me kind of freaked out. Here's what I'll say. I want to encourage you in this. I want everyone at New Life Church to feel free to express yourself in worship. That's why we will have people. Some of you will sit. Some of you will stand. Some of you will raise your hands. Some like this. Some like this. Some like this. Right? Depending on your own style. Some of you will come down to the stairs and worship. And some of you will kneel. Some of you will jump. Some of you, what, well, some of you will cry. Right? Some of you will sing. Whether that's on key or not. That's not my deal. And some of you, some of you will sing your own song to God. You ever been sitting next to somebody like that? Maybe like today you're just like, I don't know what they're singing, but it's not that song. Right? <laughs> you ever been there? You're just like, uh, sweetie, sweetie, uh, the words are up there. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay, you're just singing your own song there. It's really sweet but annoying, right? And so like, <laughs> and for some people, you hear them singing in tongues. And look, Paul said he did it. So there. He, he says, well, this is, this, is, this is kind of what, look, I always want people to feel like they can express themselves in worship. 
here's my rule, and this is just my rule, so this is just me. This isn't anything that's it's a big deal. Um, I call it the tambourine rule. Here's what I will say. Oh, I do not like tambourines. Um, I, I want to say this. If you are not on the worship team, no, even if you are on the worship team, please do not bring a tambourine to church. I mean that in the love of God. And some of you are like, I'm just waiting for the next renewal of the move of the Holy Spirit because it will involve tambourines, right? Because, because and, and, and go with me here, so I know some of you are offended. Um, because when, when you're playing the tambourine, you're having a great old time in worship. I mean, and you're thinking, you're welcome, Zach. You, and you're welcome, everyone else around me, for sharing my tambourine prowess with all of you. Right? And you think, this, this is a blessing to everyone. And so, yes, I'll, I'll switch and I'll move throughout the worship service so you can all be blessed equally, right? Now, here's the problem with this. You're like, man, this is absolutely awesome, but everybody else around you is completely distracted. And there are some people, the, the ones that are just barely saved, that want to hurt you. <laughs> and they might do it because they're like barely saved, right? Like, like they got saved last week and they, they're, they're not all sanctified yet. Like they may take it out on you. They may take it out on you. It's this reality that like we practice freedom within limits. Every single one of us. Why? For the benefit of others around us. Why? Because it's not just me and Jesus in here. The benefit of us coming together and worshiping together as a church family is that it's not just me and Jesus. It's me and Jesus and all of you as well. So if you overhear someone speaking in tongues to themselves, they're not out of order in a worship service. So, so be free in worship but not so distracting that other people around you want to hurt you. <laughs> Tambourine rule. Does that make sense? Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I hear that. Because, and this is, if we're going to encapsulate this, because what is beneficial to you privately may not be beneficial publicly. That is what Paul is trying to communicate when it comes to this gift in particular. Lastly, one of the questions that arises about the gift of tongues is this. Is it proof that I have the baptism of the Holy Spirit? This is the question, if you've been around the Christian thing anymore. And those of you from like Pentecostal churches, you're like, he better address this and I want to hear my answer, right? Here's the thing. Is it proof that I have been baptized into the Holy Spirit? Let me be very clear about this. You do not have to speak in tongues in order to be saved or baptized into the Holy Spirit. Look at speaking in tongues is clearly a benefit, not a requirement. It's a benefit, not a requirement. Now, I do see in Scripture, here's the reality. I see in Scripture many times where people were filled with the Holy Spirit and immediately spoke in tongues. But that is not always the case. So to create a, a stone, rock-hard doctrine over something that isn't 100% if, to me is on shaky ground. 
That's not always the case. It is clear to me, however, that Paul writes and spends like almost three chapters, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, 13, and 14, specifically trying to bring correction to, to a group and to a church that had kind of come off the tracks a little bit and, and were, had a little bit of an over-obsession with the public use of the gift of tongues. He spends an entire chapter speaking to the Corinthian church about this. Hey guys, you're a little, you gotta figure this thing out. So speaking in tongues is not a requirement. It is simply a benefit to you. I hope that takes away some shame, some guilt, some feeling of I, I, I'm, a, I'm a less than Christian if I don't do this. But I hope it also brings this out of just like, this is important to Paul. We're supposed to eagerly seek after spiritual gifts. I don't need to be scared of this. And it's a benefit to me, not a requirement. Now, I want to just go over two, two real quick things, a couple myths about speaking in tongues. For those of you who, who, who have never experienced anything like this, I want, sometimes we wonder this, is, is it uncontrollable? Is, is, is it like, is it something that just kind of boils up and I can't do anything about it? No, it's a choice. It's a choice. You don't just, you know, all of a sudden like fall into a trance and your, your eyelids go back and you start having an, an ecstatic, supernatural, spiritual experience. It, it isn't something that could possibly embarrass you. You're not going to be at work and thinking like, I'm just talking to my coworker about something serious. No, oh my, oh, here it comes. Oh no. Oh no, here it comes. Oh no. Should have bought a Honda Butter Kia. You know, and all of a sudden it comes out and you're just like, no. And your coworker's like, what is wrong with you? It's not how it happens. You don't just start operating in the gifts of the Spirit without cooperation. God doesn't impose the gift of hospitality on you without your co cooperation. Do you know that? You actually have to call up someone and invite them over to your house in order to cooperate with the Holy Spirit so that you can show hospitality. You actually have to get your checkbook out, if you still have those, and, and write a check in order to exercise the gift of giving. There's always a cooperation that happens that we cooperate with the Holy Spirit from the gift of the Holy Spirit to manifest. It's the same way with the gift of tongues. It's the same way with any, any one of the gifts of the Spirit. It requires us to cooperate with God. That, 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 that's how all of, the, all of this thing works. So the spirit of the prophet is subject to the prophet. It's the same way with tongues. So people say like, well, you know, I just, you know, if God wants to give it to me, then I'm, I, I don't know if I'm open, but, like, if he, but he never has. So like I don't really, listen, if you, if you eagerly desire something, then you cooperate with the Holy Spirit in order for it to manifest. It's the same way with the gift of tongues. The second myth about the gift of tongues that I hear a lot is that it's a spiritual mark of maturity or like superiority. Like it's kind of like, well, I mean, I was about to have the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. Do you? No, too bad for you. You kind of not really good at this Christian thing, obviously. I'll give you a few pointers here, right? And, uh, but, but I'm up here and you're obviously down here. Paul specifically attacks this in 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter. We think we divorce it from 1 Corinthians 14, but it's all one thought for Paul. He says, I, if I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but I do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Here's my paraphrase. Justin's paraphrase is this. If I speak in tongues, but I don't have love, I'm as annoying as an offbeat tambourine. Thank you. <laughs> I'm going to do my own paraphrase of the entire Bible. Yeah. <clears throat> In other words, 
In other words, it really doesn't matter how gifted you are if you're not fruited. Sorry. It, it really does. You could be the most gifted person in the world, but if you don't have love, you've missed the whole point. So when it comes to this gift, the weird one, the one that you're kind of hoping, a, I don't know, maybe we didn't spend a whole Sunday on that, did we? When it comes to the gifts of the Holy Spirit, any of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, I hope you realize that we have a good dad. And he wants to give you good gifts. You have no reason to be afraid, no reason to be in fear, no reason to, to think, well, I want everything but not this one. Why? Because it is a benefit to you. Not a requirement, but a benefit. Why don't you stand with me? So for me, I'm going to tell you my story real quick. Um, when I, I was in eighth grade, and <clears throat> I've told you this before, I think a couple weeks ago, but when I came to, to you know, repenting and, and receiving Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I was in eighth grade, and um, here was my prayer. It was very simple. It was this. If I can have a relationship with the creator of the universe, then I want it. And the, the second thought that I remember clearly, distinctly having is, I don't have any expectation of what it's supposed to look like, but I, I'm open to whatever it is that you want to give me. I, I clearly remember both of those thoughts. And... And it, for me, it was like a day of Pentecost experience. And I say day of Pentecost experience because never experienced the love and the presence of God before ever in my life apart from that one day that began a relationship with God, the Holy Spirit. Um, I, I, I know I was saved in that God became so real to me. I mean, almost a tangible presence that I could sense in the room. Um, I, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit in that moment and literally started speaking in tongues. Eighth grade, I had no idea what, 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 what tongues were. I was a good little Catholic altar boy, okay? I had no clue what was going on. And all of a sudden, God starts working, and, 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 and I'm speaking in tongues. I have no frame of reference for this. I didn't even quite know what was going on. I just had a few words and just kept repeating those over. But I will say that I've never felt so, so connected to God as I was praying in the spirit and I didn't even know what was happening but I just felt like there was this like golden shaft of beam my, my youth pastor used to say this it's like this golden shaft of beam of like a connection to God I didn't know what I was saying I didn't know what was happening I didn't know what anything was going on but I do know that I was connected to God in a way that I'd never ever felt before never before and so I want to end today with reminding you of who penned 1 Corinthians chapter 14. The Apostle Paul, the, the, the greatest apostle, the, the, the man who we revere, the person who, who we trust with much of our theology today, the person who wrote over 25% of the entirety of the New Testament. And he says these three things. And I'm going to cherry pick them right out of here for you. Read them for yourselves. Verse 18, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Verse 5, he says, I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues. And then in verse 39, this is what he says. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy 
and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. And yet there are whole churches and denominations that have forbidden speaking in tongues. And there's a, there's a little verse in the Bible that says, do not forbid it. But it should be done in an orderly and fitting way. Which is what we should be committed to as a church. We want the Holy Spirit to move in order that is clearly defined in Scripture. And so my prayer for each and every single one of you today is really the same prayer that Paul had for the Corinthian church where he says, I, I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues. Why? Because it's a benefit to you. It's not a requirement. It doesn't make you a, a, a better Christian or a higher echelon. It doesn't create a caste system of Christianity. It just says, look, I, I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues. Why, why wouldn't you? If this was available and this, what Paul outlines in the, an entire chapter is, is actually something that, that we could eagerly desire after, why, why would I not want that? To eagerly desire. So as we enter into this last worship song, this is what I, some, let's just take a step back from the whole like speaking in tongues thing. And here's what I think God just calls us to. I think it's eighth grade Justin. It's a simple prayer of this. God, I want all that you have for me. I'm not closing the book on anything that you haven't closed. I'm not saying that something's off limits in my life that you want access to. And so God, I, I pray that no matter what that gifting is in, in my life, no matter what it is that you're wanting to speak to in my life, I'm, open, I'm an open book to you, Lord. I don't have any expectation of what that's supposed to look like, but I certainly will not allow my fears or concerns to stand in the way. And I won't allow my, my experience to dictate your word. Lord Jesus, I submit myself to your word and may the word of God dictate my experiences in you. So Jesus, I pray that you'd have your way in us. And I pray that as we worship here today, God, I pray that you would just be releasing giftings over people. Whatever that looks like, if, they, if you're in a place of surrender today, I believe that's all that God asks for you to do. You don't have to work yourself up. It doesn't need to be a, 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 some sort of a weird emotional uprising or, or an experience like that. I believe God wants to just download spiritual gifts in and through our life. And it doesn't have to be weird, but it may be different. So Jesus, I pray that even as we stand here, even as we choose to worship you, I pray that gifts would rise up as the Spirit administers to them, that we be open to anything and everything that you have for us. You're a good, good father. You are a good, good dad. So we receive you and all that you have for us. Lord, we're open to you today. If you have any prayer needs in any area of your life, uh, you wanna come up here along the sides. We have a prayer team that would love to, to pray don't leave this place without being ministered to today. But as we, as we worship, I, you know what? Just stay in a place of surrender and allow God to be able to fill and make space for him to fill. Lord, we lift your name up high. We lift your name up.